Good morning, church family. I hope everybody out there is being blessed through this whole, or th whole ordeal. Um, if you want to join me today, we're going to be reading out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Second Tim Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but not denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in the mind and disqualified regarding, regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to see to all, as was those two men. You, however, Follow my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which precautions, persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out, of, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your finished work on the cross. And Lord, in these times of uncertainty, we know that you are sovereign. And Lord, we just want to press into you and let you lead and guide us. Lord, as Jackie comes forth and brings your word, Lord, I just ask that you open our ears to hear what you have to say to us today. And, Lord, that our hearts will be softened and prepared to receive your word and that it become part of our life. And, Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> well, this morning, we're going to look at the flip side of what we've been discussing in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So the flip side of that is uh, here are these men that have been mentioned in the, in the earlier part of the chapter who did not hold fast to what they needed to hold fast to in order that they might be able to uh, um, be the, the, the people following the Lord properly in the, right, in the right path. They got off track. They lost their way. And they are in opposition now to what God wants. And immediately... In verse 14, Paul, remember Paul, once again, 
writing his last letter to a son in the faith and saying, look, I want to really instruct you on the things that you need to know. He tells Timothy here, but as for you. In other words, in strong contrast to those examples that I just laid out, to these guys who lost their way, who fell off the path, who, who got themselves into a place where they're not being obedient to, to the Lord, uh, it, not like them, here's how I want you to make it. Here's how I want you to be able to focus. Here's how I want you to be able to establish these things. He says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So we're going to be talking this morning about the, the uh, doctrine of inspiration. What does it mean uh, that all Scripture is, is God-breathed? And as we consider that, <clears throat> first thing we want to look at is the power. What is the power of inspiration? What is the foundation that keeps us on the right path? How do we not get swayed to the left or to the right? How do we stay walking that path that Jesus called us to, right? Because as disciples of Jesus Christ, like his original disciples, we're hearing these words, come, follow me. Now, how do we practically do that? In our world today, especially during this pandemic, one of the things is it's hard to make a good decision when all your information is confusing, it's hard to make it. It's hard to say, well, how are we, what are we going to do? Because tomorrow they're going to say something different than they said yesterday, than they said the next time. And here's what happens. <clears throat> we look at all of that and people start to assume, well, look, truth is constantly changing. And I guess what I would say is, no, truth doesn't change. The truth stays the truth. But what changes is our understanding of it, what we know. It's hard to make the right decision on what to do, whether to step off with the left foot or the right foot, if you, the information that you're receiving is faulty. If the things that you're using as your guideposts are incorrect. You may have, you may, you may say, I know the streets I'm supposed to turn on. But if the night before you go on your trip, a young man goes out and changes the street signs, pulls one off of this street sign, puts it over there, puts that one over here, the streets didn't really change, right? The truth is still the truth, but the information that we're bringing in is there to mislead us. And that's probably one of our biggest struggles as we've gone through this time. You know, we've been home, <clears throat> I don't know how many days, too many, um, Life has been uh, uh, upset. Things have been changed. And, and we'll feel the effects of this for a long time. You know, there, if tomorrow the governor said, everybody go back to work, uh, that doesn't fix it all. That just maybe starts a process of putting some things back together. I've gotten several calls in the last couple of weeks about, well, how's... How's the church doing? How's the church? What's going on with the church? And I guess I just want everyone to know that the, the way we set up the government of the church was that there would be men full of the Holy Spirit making decisions that would be led by the Spirit. And honestly, uh, to date, we're okay. Uh, God led the men to put money aside. We thought it was for something else, but but uh, it's what's been carrying us through this time. We haven't 
had to let go or stop supporting any missionaries. Uh, some of the people who are on staff have taken voluntary cuts of their pay because they're okay right now, and <clears throat> and so that's alleviated some of the pressure. And and so we're going to weather the storm. God God is going to carry us through by His wisdom and His direction as we look to Him, not to something else to bring about our security and our salvation. We hope in him. But there's been so much confusion bred along the way. What can you do? What can't you do? How are you supposed to act? And so we see if someone was just making all their decisions based on whatever they're going to say tomorrow in the COVID, you know, what do they call that thing? When they well, yeah, whatever. When they all start fighting with each other, <laughs> when the president gets uh, um, verbally assassinated by the press and vice versa, when all that stuff takes place, the information is not going to have enough of the truth in it for you to make a decision that's going to be something that's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. The information here, Second Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, saying to Timothy, look, these guys all got off track because they're, what they're bringing in, the input that's guiding their decisions, changed from that which is absolute truth. It shifted. And so someone changed the street signs, and they end up on the wrong streets. They end up uh, deceiving others and themselves being deceived. But Paul says to him, listen, I want you to understand the power of having truth. Because if you have the truth and you do what the truth says, then you're going to walk the path you need to walk. If I don't mind walking through a minefield if I know where the mines are. But walking through a minefield, you don't know where the mines are is a little bit nerve-wracking. So we want to understand, and we have that understanding. I just want you to see how Paul gets us to that. He's saying to Timothy, but as for you, in strong contrast to these other guys, understand the power of the inspiration of God, the power of the truth of the gospel. Understand it and continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. The first thing that we understand about the Word of God and the power of the Word of God being God-breathed is that it gives us strength. It gives us strength to deal with persecution, and it gives us strength to understand deception. We come to the Word of God as our standard, as our foundation. So then what is being brought in is truth. It can lead us. But he tells them, Paul tells Timothy, you need to continue in, continue in what you have learned. It's not, <clears throat> we read it once. I read that once. Yeah, I never hold, I never retain anything if I read it once. The scriptures have been given to us as meditative literature, means it is designed to be something that we bring into our life and we chew on. We meditate on. We seek to grow in our understanding. But if we can understand the value of having truth 
And knowing then, what do I do? How do I walk? Look, let's make it simple. I know as a husband how God wants me to treat my wife. I don't have to wonder. The information's not always changing. It's not always in flux. God tells me specifically how to love my wife. God tells my wife specifically how to respect her husband. The word of God will guide us if we hold on to it, has the power to provide us that strength. So that if a, someone changes a street sign, it doesn't matter because the word of God is the truth. And we can hold fast to that truth. It will give us strength in a time of deception, in a time when the whole message of the world is chaos. I hear a lot. People tell me, well, Romans 13 says to obey the governing authorities. You're right. Romans 13 tells us that we should to the best of our ability, obey the governing authorities. But there also comes a time when the governing authorities and what God's word says comes into conflict. And when that happens, we need to be led by the truth of God's word to find ourselves on the proper path. Where do you want us to walk, God? Where do you want us to be? How do we follow your purpose and plan? What will keep us from uh, dealing with the struggle of persecution and deception? Continuing in the word of God. Listen to what Jesus said, John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then truly you are my disciples. So Jesus, when we answer the call to Jesus Christ, and he said, Come follow me. The way we follow Christ, we don't have a physical representation of him to stand behind and do what he does and walk where he walks. We have his word. If you abide in my word, continue in my word, then truly you are my disciples. You're following the way. You're following the the process that God has for us to follow. What we have learned and what we have believed, what we have trusted. So we have this idea, it gives us strength, but also, listen, it leads us to salvation. Look, he says in verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the word of God not only gives us strength for the circumstances around us and tells us what path we ought to walk, the word of God also leads us to salvation. Throughout the Old Testament, and in particular the Old Testament prophets, God would send his prophets to the kings, to the rulers of the land, who were making the decisions they were making. And they were saying, hey, we need to have a peace treaty with Egypt. Hey, we need to have a peace treaty with Assyria because the world is unsure and these big movers and shakers and and powerful enemies are going to come against us. And so we ought to seek salvation through having this unity with these other nations. And God would send his prophet and his prophet would say, why are you looking for salvation everywhere else? Why aren't you looking for salvation in me? So Isaiah, God would speak to Isaiah when Judah was facing Assyria and Shennacherib was coming with the armies of Assyria to destroy. And God would say, 
through the prophet Isaiah to King Hezekiah. Why don't you trust me? Don't put your trust in your money. Don't put your trust in your horses. Put your trust in me. Now, we put our trust in the Lord. How is it that we do it? What did, it, what did Jesus say in John 8, 31? Abide in my word. Hold fast to my word. Stand in that place. He will lead us to salvation. Listen, in 2 Timothy 1, 5, we see in Timothy's life, he had his mother and his grandmother that were sincere about making sure that he was grounded in the sacred writings. Now, in Timothy's case, what were they talking about? What were the sacred writings? We don't have the whole Bible yet. What do we have? We have the Old Testament. These sacred writings, he's talking about the Old Testament. I am reminded, he said in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Knowing, he said, in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Knowing, he said, listen, and how from childhood you have been acquainted. You know the sacred writings. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We want to put our hope and trust in the sacred writings, in the word of God. For they will make us wise to salvation. How do we get through this pandemic? I'm going to tell you, if you spend all your time listening to news, you're going to drive yourself crazy, you're going to be afraid, and you're not going to know what to do. Because every time I look at the news there, say something else. They say something different. Look, the truth isn't always shifting. The truth is running true. So I need to look to the Lord. I need to be led by his word. God, what do you want me to do during this time? And then making right application to the things that he lays out for us. The word of God will lead us through. Just follow Jesus. Just follow what his word lays out. First Peter 1, 22 and 23. Listen to what Peter writes. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Listen again, purifying your souls by what? Obedience to the truth. What's the truth we're talking about? The word of God. What's the thing that doesn't change? The word of God. We're going to hold fast to God's word. What is God leading us to? From where? For a sincere brotherly love. Love your neighbor. Sometimes when we love our neighbor, we'll stay distant from them so they don't catch something that we may have. Sometimes when we love our neighbor, we go to their house anyways and we anoint them with oil and we pray that God would bring healing into their life. We need to be led by his spirit and by his word. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. How? Not of perishable seed, but imperishable. How? Through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God. Timothy, what's going to keep you on the straight and narrow so you don't get distracted like these guys? So you don't become an enemy of the gospel? Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the word of God. Romans 10, 
9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Holding fast to the word of God. This is our foundation of truth and the power of the scripture being God breathed. So let's look at that idea. There are some, what's a, I don't know, there's probably a better way to, than saying there are problems associated with the inspiration, but let's talk about it. What is this next verse 16? All scripture is theonustos. Theonustos, all scripture is breathed out by God. When we come to the study of the Word of God, we tend to have an oversimplification of the truth. So let's not not overly simplify things. Let's look face-to-face into the Word of God and understand the challenges that we face when we come to it. If we want to follow the way of truth, then we need to understand very clearly what the way of truth is saying, don't we? We need to know what's being said. <clears throat> when, when Paul wrote this, all Scripture is God-breathed. Here's what he means. All Scripture has its foundation in the Lord. There are three things that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about it a little bit later. I'll just mention them now. The only way for us to understand and know anything about God is for God to first reveal himself to us. We can't find him apart from him revealing himself to us. He is the invisible God. No eye has seen, right? Except for God reaching to us, we would not know God. That's his revelation. His revelation comes down to man, and it is then through inspiration that man, the writers, the apostles, were able to take the revelation of God that was given to them and express it in writing. And as they express that in writing... Scripture says it was all breathed out by God. So God breathes out, it's written. It was not written in the King James. It was not written in the ESV. It was not written in any of the other things. The Bibles that we use today was not written in that. When Paul sat down and wrote it, he had a letter. And as he wrote that letter and he signed his name at the bottom and he folded it up and he handed it to the one who would deliver it to Timothy... That document was God-breathed. So we have the revelation of God delivered through authors from, who, put, who put pen to paper and delivered that to whoever was to, to take it from there. So you have the revelation, you have inspiration, and then you have illumination. When Timothy received that letter, 
You have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of the letter is inspiring the understanding of the letter. So we have revelation, inspiration, illumination, and then you have God's amazing ability to preserve his word. That's where we have our King James Version, our new King James, our ESV, where God brought through men throughout time the ability for man to take those documents, copy those documents throughout time. There was no printing press when that came out. You couldn't just put it on a copy machine and make a copy. You made handwritten copies. God preserved his word until his word comes to us. We have such an abundance of of manuscript evidence today, it is mind-boggling. And there are probably more. I know that there is a vault that has within that vault and a, and a variety of different uh, museums numerous amounts of ancient writings that nobody's had the time to look at yet. What are still in the vaults? What is still there to be seen? There are ministries that are going out, taking those manuscripts and just taking pictures of them and saving a digital copy so that one day, when there are enough people who want to know, who can study those things, they may discover these incredible evidences we've had locked away in somebody's closet all these years. This is how Scripture is God-breathed. He's the origin. He's the illuminator. He's the one that helps us understand it. And he's the one who preserves it so that the word of God comes to us today. When we look at this verse, I just want you to understand. I don't want to try to to boggle your mind with uh, a bunch of information, it doesn't matter. But I do want you to really, hopefully one of the things we can gather. First, our foundation of truth is the Word of God. And we can be absolutely sure that the, the Bibles we have in our laps right now is the absolute Word of God. We can be absolutely sure of that. We can then say, I want to follow this truth. But as we do so, we can't come to it with some kind of blinders on thinking that it's magic. That like I sit down and I flip open the Bible and I poke my finger down and that's God telling me through this verse that I'm supposed to, you know, go do whatever. That's not how we, that's not how we find God's understanding. How did Paul declare it to the people? Listen, Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's not an excuse for laziness. It's not magic pixie dust. It's for those who will be diligent, who will come to the Word of God to understand. When we look at a a translation, there are multiple translations that we use today. I always tell people, use five. Why do I say to use five? Because if you use five, you're going to understand some of the nuance of language. In the Greek, it is possible to say Jackie loves Kathy a thousand different ways with different words and different grammatical structures. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So when we consider trying to get the message that Paul is laying out for Timothy, 
Maybe we want to put a little bit of diligence into our study. For example, when he says all Scripture, he's talking about the word graphe. The word graphe, which is, in, which is translated Scripture, means writing. Now, he doesn't mean all writing, that every writing ever done, that the phone book and, the, and every book you've ever got, that that's all God breathed. That's not what he means. He's talking about specific ones. He says... Pasa grafe. Now, pasa can mean every, each, or all. And so the translators have to take a look at the whole counsel of God as they bring in their translation. And there's two ways to look at this phrase. We can look at this phrase passively, or we can look at this phrase laid out for us actively. Usually, when it lacks a definite article, it suggests that it's passive, which would mean every would be preferable. Sometimes it can be seen as emphatic. If it's emphatic, then all would be preferred. Why am I telling you this? Because if you have one translation in front of you, it either says all or every. And people all the time struggle with, well, which Bible's best? This one doesn't say exactly the same thing as that one does. That's because it's a translation from another language. And when we translate from another language, there are some difficulties in getting the nuance of that language in English, which, by the way, is not the simplest language on the planet. So it requires us to be diligent workers that do not need to be ashamed. Studying the Word of God. Taking the time to say, I want to understand. I want to, I want to be able to hold on. The word that we talked about just a moment ago, theonustos, <coughs> it means literally God breathed it out. That God is the originator. That God did it. That He laid it out. That He put this, this thing out before us. It's, it has its birth from the Lord. That's why we will say, in a, in a little while, that's why we will say that the Word of God is authoritative and the final arbiter for, for all of us these days as we look to the Word of God for truth. Now when we talk about this idea of theonustos, this idea of inspiration, now man takes that data. Here's the data. God says, I am the cause of the Scripture. I am the preserver of the Word. I am the illuminator of the Word. I am the one who inspired the writing of the Word. And then we take that information and we roll it around in our minds and we try to spit out what does that mean. And so man has a variety of theories. <clears throat> theories about what is, what is inspiration all about. Some people think inspiration is dictation. That God spoke and these men were like an amanuensis. Paul was an amanuensis, a, a guy who just wrote what God said. The problem with that is, we see in their writings their personality. An amanuensis, you would see the personality of the speaker. But we see the personality of Paul, the personality of Peter, the personality of John. Their personality comes through. So the idea of dictation it just, just doesn't quite work, doesn't quite 
uh, match for me. And there's a lot of different theories. I'm just going to talk about a couple of them. There's one. This is the one where I land. It's verbal plenary inspiration. <clears throat> verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal means the words. The words matter. The words matter and understanding what those words mean and how those words are applied. That's why studying scripture takes effort. Right? It, just like anything that we want to be or do in our life. If I want to be a good farmer, I can't just go out, take three seconds reading an article in a magazine and become a farmer. It's going to require me to spend time understanding complex ideas. It's not a simple line of work. Neither is being a mechanic. Neither is building a house. Neither is comprehending and holding fast to the truth of God's word. It requires effort. Verbal means the words matter. Plenary means all of it. Some, when we talk about inspiration, some people will say, well, this is inspired and that's not. Verbal plenary means the words all matter and all of the words in all of the books matter. It's all inspired of God. The whole of Scripture is given by divine inspiration. In other words, God, through the authors, through Paul or John or Peter or Moses or any of the others who were authors of the books that we have within Scripture, that God by his sovereignty worked through their personality to produce exactly the words God wanted. He used Paul's understanding, he used Paul's personality, and he got exactly what he wanted from Paul. He used Moses' vocabulary, Moses' understanding, and got exactly the words he wanted from Moses. But the person, the writer, comes through. God is the originator. But these people, they are all a part of it. 1 Corinthians 2.11-13 through 13 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is within him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except who? The spirit of God. We want to know the heart of God, then we need the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Listen to what he says. And we impart these things, how? In words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. God gave the words. They matter. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, right? Not one iota, not one dot, not one jot, not one tittle will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is even saying every letter. He will preserve everything that is necessary. God preserved his word. There's another view. It's called dynamic inspiration. Dynamic inspiration says that the thoughts are inspired, but the words were freely given to the authors to write. And now there are probably 50 other views that people say, okay, the Bible says God has breathed out his word. He's the originator. And now man comes to that and he says, now I want to understand how do I apply that? How do I understand how that really worked? 
That's why we have places and divisions of people who say, no, I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. And another guy says, no, no, I think it was the thoughts that God inspired. And another guy says something else. And so we come together as brothers who want the truth. And we set down before us God's word. And we challenge one another to come to the understanding that, that is the true understanding but here's here's what we really do what we really do is is i say nope unless you think how i think this is how it must be you must think this way this is absolute truth because god has delivered unto me absolute truth and and i'm the only one who has it i'm telling you the word of god is absolutely true and scripture is absolutely breathed out by god now it's our responsibility to apply that how does that work you understand how there could be differences of opinion? Do you understand how there could be differences in doctrine? But when you gather these men in a room, they will all affirm this. All scripture is God-breathed. They will all affirm the truth. Where we struggle as God's church, why we struggle to be unified is because we don't have the ability to accept the fact that we struggle with understanding how do we plug all these things in. We all affirm Scripture as God-breathed. How did God do it? Well, he did it verbally and plenary, and here's why. And we list out those scriptures. And another will say, no, he did it by thought. And and he'll list out these scriptures. And it's our job as the church of Jesus Christ with a desire to follow Jesus in love to come together and reconcile. But that reconciliation takes work. And for most of us, we want fast food Christianity. We want to make our choices and just not have to think about why those are right or wrong or whether or not we're holding fast to to God's example that he's given us. We just want to drive through, give our order, get what we want, and go on with our busy day. Here's my challenge to you. Nobody follows Jesus like fast food. Jesus lived with his disciples, three, three and a half years, they went everywhere he went. They heard everything he said. They held on to every word. This is the example of following Christ. Scripture is our truth. It's our pathway. And it requires us to say, you know what, I need to know it. I need to spend time getting into it. Remember what I said, first God reveals, then God inspires, then God illuminates. But illumination is not magic pixie dust. Otherwise, every time you read it, the Spirit would tell you what it meant and we'd all agree. Well, that doesn't work, right? How come that doesn't work? Well, mostly it doesn't work because you and I are, are faulty vessels. It's not because the Spirit of God's not working. We, you and I, we bring our experience, we bring our feelings, we bring the different things we've, and it's only when we will gather and set 
down and say, work our way through these processes that I'm able to express why I see this and I, and I think maybe that's what's going on. What is it that God's word declared to us in matters of judgment? In matters of judgment, what did Jesus say? Where two or three of you are gathered together in my name. What did he say? There I am in your midst. That takes work. That takes effort. And maybe that's more effort than, than some want to take. Maybe that's more effort than some want to understand. But when we look down to what God's word is laying out for us, all scripture breathed out by God is our truth, is what keeps us on the path, is what keeps Timothy from, from failing like other false teachers and keeps him moving forward in the direction that God wants. And it works through revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, <clears throat> 1 through 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul was a steward of the grace of God for the Gentiles. In other words, God gave Paul grace to express to the Gentiles. This was his role, and he was to be a good steward of what God had given him. How the mystery was made known to me, what's it say? By revelation. God revealed the mysteries to Paul and what did he, what's the next phrase? And I have, or as I have written, briefly. I've written the things God has revealed to me. 2 Timothy 3.16 shows us that next step we've been talking about, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration. It has its, its origin in God. He reveals it to man. The Holy Spirit comes upon human authors. Not today. We, 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 we may write inspiring worship, but nobody writes by inspiration. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that everything God had to reveal to us, he has revealed to us through his son. Now God has nothing more. There was, given the Old Testament that promised that there was a new covenant coming, a new testament coming, that was birthed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book is finished. God is done. Now we may have inspiring things. We may even be led by the Spirit, gifted by the Spirit to do incredible things, but there's no such thing as something we do or produce today that is given by inspiration of God. We don't write scripture anymore. We have the scripture that God has delivered to us. He, the Holy Spirit, came upon the apostles, and they became the vessels which communicated the truth of God in words to others. That's what's meant by inspiration. Illumination. The work of the Spirit which enables believer to understand and apply. What good does it do if you see the words and you read the words if you don't do the words? Right? We want to be able to do the word. What is God's word asking me to do? This is a very struggle we find ourselves in now when we discuss things like Romans chapter 13 that tells us to, be in, to, to walk in obedience to the governing authorities. 
Then you also have Hebrews that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Which one has credence? How do we hold fast to that? That's what godly men come together and wrestle with and ask God's Spirit to guide and lead and direct so that we can take the path that God is calling us to. But I know, I know where the path is found. The path is found in God's Word and through His uh, revelation. That's where it is. That's where our foundation of truth is found. John 14, 26 tells us, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. People always say, when the gospel writers sat down to write the gospel, they wrote that gospel some, you know, 20 years after. How, how could they remember everything? What did Jesus tell them? John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to teach you all things. He's, who's Jesus talking to? His disciples. Right? Many of which are going to do what? Sit down and write Scripture, aren't they? The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. All the things. And so we have that same promise for you and I today. We come to the Word of God, and God says the Holy Spirit will open our eyes. Does that mean, does that require us to have other understanding? It does. It does. You remember what I said in the beginning? Only the information that you have brought into you, these lines of information that come in and are into your understanding, that's how you're going, that's what you're going to base truth on, and you're going to walk in accordance to the information you brought in. If the information you brought in is faulty, what happens? Well, you, you might end up someplace you don't want to be, right? How do I get the right information? That's why I hold fast to verbal plenary inspiration. The words matter. Why did God choose this word? Why did he say it this way? The words matter. There's something God wants me to comprehend and understand of that. How do I get to the comprehension and understanding of that? Either I become a Greek scholar, which I don't have time for now. I'm too old. Or I take a little bit of time to utilize the tools God has provided so that we can know. So that I know that the data I have in front of me is right. Scripture is given so that there's one interpretation, not 50. It meant one thing. Now I take that one thing that scripture meant and I need to then apply it, right? I need to make application. Now there may be multiple applications of this singular truth, but I have to understand the singular truth and I have to take the time to know it. Not fast food. I got to take the time. Work. Wrench. Slave. Read. Study. And show yourself approved. A workman of God that does not need to be ashamed. What's the result of all this? The result of all this is what we have on our laps today. The word of God. Now there are probably a lot of questions. And I don't have time today to go into all the questions. And <coughs> I actually love to talk about all these things. Like, where did we come up with these books? How did these books make it into what we call the canon of Scripture? I'll give you the short answer. They're self-authenticating. No one ever had authority over the Scriptures. The church didn't say, 
this is it. There was not an authority that said, waved a wand. There was not a period of time where people, look, at the word of God that you have on your lap has been the word of God from the beginning. You know what's interesting? In all these ancient manuscripts that we find of the Gospels, all these ancient manuscripts that we find of the Gospels, all of them, you know how they come? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Is that not interesting? There's never Matthew, Mark, Thomas, and Fred? No. No. In fact, there is a Gospel of Thomas that does not come onto the scene for some 600 years. Yeah, that's... When we find the codexes, you know that Christians used codexes? They were the ones who invented the book. Prior to Christians, it was scrolls. But you know how hard it is to have a scroll of the entire Bible? Yeah, it was hard to have a scroll. So you know what they did? They developed codexes. A codex is where they took the scroll, divided it by pages, and sewed it into a book. We have a number of them. The Word of God, preserved by God, delivered to His church. Not through the power of any organization. It was not the Council of Nicaea. That is a fable. Now there were councils where they said, this is the official Bible. That was years later. Years and years and years later, after years and years and years of use, the scriptures that we have sitting before us. Because all scripture is revealed by God, because all Scripture is inspired by God, because all Scripture is illuminated by God and preserved by God, we have the Word of God that we would say is infallible because God is infallible. Is inerrant because God is inerrant and is authoritative because God is authoritative and God is the source. Infallible means that he will not mislead us. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. So he's not fallible. He is he, he is infallible. He's he that's confusing if I say it that way. God is infallible. He cannot lie because God cannot lie then the Bible does not contain errors in the things that it teaches that's the doctrine of inerrancy it does not contain errors in the things that it teaches that's an important sentence it's written that way for a reason and finally because God is the source it is the final arbiter of truth for the believer. Paul says to Timothy, I'm going to die, Timothy, but you have what you need. You have the word of God. And that word of God was developing in the time of Timothy's life. He held fast to and finished his race well. All scripture breathed out by God and not only does it have its origin in God, because it has its origin in God, don't miss the next phrase, all Scripture breathed out by God and useful and profitable. <clears throat> what, is, what is a prophet? 
of inspiration? What is the profit of the Word of God? How, how does the Word of God help us today? I've heard politicians say, the Word of God is, can't be of any use. You can't accept this or that. How do we reconcile all these things? Those are people who want fast food Christianity. But if you want the truth, then we come to the Word of God and we understand that the Scripture has its origin in God and it is profitable, it is useful. Four specific things are laid out for us. It is useful for teaching. What should I do? The Word of God is useful for teaching. What do I do? How do I follow you, Jesus? How do I walk the path that you have laid out before me? How do I make responsible, not foolhardy decisions in light of the truth of Scripture? Where sometimes what God wants you to do looks foolhardy. Nobody would have said, Joshua, what you should do is march around Jericho until the walls fall down. That seemed foolhardy. Nobody would have said to Abraham, you're supposed to sacrifice your son on an altar. That seems foolhardy. But we happen to know that each of those situations was in full obedience to the Lord. I don't want to be foolish. I don't want to walk the path of the fool. Proverbs tells us the difference. The path of the fool says in his heart there is no God. The path of the wise is seeking God in his understanding. Seek him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What do you have for me, Lord? The word of God is profitable for teaching. It's a positive source of doctrine. How are we supposed to do this life? Not our feelings. Our feelings lie. I am plump. I was going to say I'm fat. I'm trying to be positive. So my stomach tells me all the time, oh my God, I'm starving. That's how I feel. I feel hungry. But I am not starving. My feelings lie. Our feelings will say, that guy just walked by me and didn't wave. Or he drove past me and didn't wave at me. He's, <laughs> he must be angry at me. He must be, our feelings lie. Just because you feel something doesn't make it true. What makes it true? Hold fast to what God's word says. My little children, this is what John was so, that one who was called the son of thunder, right, who wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. What, what, was, what was his final words, his swan song? What does John say? My little children love one another. Not about feelings. It's about walking in obedience. The Word of God is good for teaching. The Word of God is also useful for reproof. It's useful for reproof. The word for reproof is alegmos. Alegmos is a rebuke that exposes the error of false teachers. 
The Word of God is the final arbiter. How do we decide between someone who says, I believe God would have us do A, and someone who says, I believe God would have us do B? How do we decide between these two things? The Word of God is useful for reproof, exposing what's false in the way we think, in the things that we're doing, and helping us hold fast to that which is true. The Word of God, because it has its origin in God's breath. What You ever think what else has its origin in God's breath? God made Adam of the clay, and then what did he do? Scripture says he breathed on him. It's interesting because in the same way that Adam becomes a living being, God goes to Abram, you remember, Abram, and he says, Abram, because you have believed me, I'm going to change your name. You remember what he changed it to? Abraham. He added ruach, the breath. What did you do to Sarah? Sarai became Sarah. He added the breath. The breath, creation, everything God's made, he has, what? Breathed out. God made his word. It's good for teaching. It's good for holding fast to doctrine. God's word is also good, not only holding fast <coughs> to these things, it's also um, good for reproof. It exposes the errors. Where am I off track? The word of God is the final arbiter. Only scripture can show a sinner their failure clarify a mistake and lead us to peace lead us the word of god has its origin with god is also good for correction correction is what restores a correct doctrine what restores a proper personal practice so that we can be once again in a right state before god When I'm off track, the Word of God is useful for correction, putting me back on the path God would have me to walk. The fourth thing the Word of God is useful for, training in righteousness. This is an incredible word. It's the word padea. Padea is a system of discipline used by a parent to develop proper character within their child. Padea, training. Train up a child in the way he should go. Isn't that what Proverbs declared? Here we see this: the Word of God is useful for our training, developing in us the things that we need to have. It's not natural. We don't just naturally have it. I don't naturally have the empathy that I need. I don't naturally have the compassion I need. I don't naturally have the, the view of justice that I need. I don't naturally have those things. I have to go to God's word to find them. We may sit around in a circle and we may say, I believe that man has a right to defend himself. And another guy might say, I believe man does not have the right to defend himself. But who decides between these views? Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Not my opinion, not how I was raised, not what political party I've chosen. What 
does God's word say? Here's what Paul said. Not just what, <clears throat> people have this, this practice called proof texting. If you know what proof texting is, proof texting is developing an idea first, I think this, and then finding a verse that supports what you think. Taking that verse out of the chapter it's in or out of the book it's in, setting it down on a piece of paper next to your idea and say, there, I proved my idea is correct. That's called proof texting. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. For example, man for 2,000 years has been wrestling with the idea that we have given titles to, the idea of of Calvinism and Armenianism. We've been arguing about that almost from the time of Christ. Um, The answer is whichever answers all the Scripture in God's Word. I can find several Scriptures and I think, oh, that supports Calvinism. And I can find several Scriptures and I can say that supports Armenianism. But the right view supports them all. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We don't get to ignore what God's word says. We hold fast to the truth of God. It is good to train us. But think about how you train anything. How do you, how do you train a dog? You've got to spend time working with that dog. How often? Once a year? Yeah, well, once, a year don't work, once a year don't work. I've raised lots of dogs where I trained them once a year. It doesn't work. You train every day, every moment. Every, in fact, every opportunity. There's lots of opportunities. It can be great opportunities for training. Think about raising your children. In our society today, we just want to pass that off to somebody else. Parents are responsible to raise their children. The school doesn't raise them. Sunday school doesn't raise them. You want your kids to understand God? How do you get them to understand God? You can utilize the tool of going to church and taking them to Sunday school, but they're going to learn what you do. They can't spend an hour once a week in Sunday school and learn to walk with Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, they're going to learn to walk with Jesus. If you don't, They're going to learn walking with Jesus is just words we say and a thing we do once a week. We train, we correct, we reproof, we teach because God from within himself revealed himself to us. He's given us data that doesn't change. Data says what it says. Our challenge is to take that data and make right application, to take that data and make right interpretation, and it's not flippant. It's something that we have to take time. It's something that we have to be, be focused in. Now, we, we look at this, okay? We've been talking about this idea, the, the power of the Word of God that keep us on track. I gave you some of the ideas of what, the way people look at inspiration, we talked about the prophet. What's a prophet of inspiration? Prophet of inspiration. Teaching, reproof, correction, training. Well, what's, what's this all for? What's the purpose of all of this? Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete. Wait, wait. There's a thing. 
there's a, there's a nuance in language here. There's a nuance here. The man of God may be mature. Wait, there's a, a nuance of language here. That the man of God may be whole. I always talk about this truth that we are all broken in a variety of ways. And our existence on earth is trying to overcome our brokenness by the wholeness that God offers us. That he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice, that I might become the righteousness of God. I'm broken, but I become righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes? I, I, I also recognize my brokenness is, is overcome because by his stripes... I'm made whole. He is giving me wholeness. Here I read in his word that the man of God, the purpose of the scripture, is so that the man of God may be whole. I may find myself falling to pieces a variety of different times in my life, but God knows where all the pieces go. And he helps me put it back together. And sometimes... When the pieces come back together, I look different. We talk about the idea in life that we all bear scars, right? We, we all bear scars. Those are our experiences. They may be emotional scars, not necessarily physical ones, but we all are products of what life on this spinning planet has done. The things that we've gone through, the things that we've experienced. But listen... God, through his word, is able to put us back together. In our pursuit of godliness, in our pursuit of holiness, in our pursuit of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in holding fast to his word, he makes me complete. He makes me whole. He makes me mature. So that I am finding myself in utter and complete Submission to him. What's the purpose? He completes me through his word. To put me into the right shape he wants me to be in. I am, as Paul said, his poema, workmanship. God is working on me. God is working on you. How does he do it? When we spend time in his word, studying his word, wanting to comprehend and know God, to be a good steward of the time that God has given us, to understand who God is, as I delve into him, he is making me. There are experiences in my life that I put on a shelf and I say, I don't know what that was for. Why did I go through that? I don't know, but I'm going to put it right there. And I'm going to spend time in God's word. And somewhere in my journey of life, I'm going to come across something in God's word that God breathes life into that is illuminated before my eyes. And I realize I see where that peace goes now. It goes right here. He enables me. That's the purpose of inspiration. But that's not the only purpose. He completes me. But it's not the only purpose of inspiration. The last phrase in verse 17, equipped for every good work. He equips me 
This is an abiding condition. An abiding condition in the one who abides in his word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, I abide in you. If you abide in me, I abide in you. If you abide in me, it's an abiding condition that we are fully qualified and prepared to undertake whatever God's put before us. Church, we are in an unprecedented time where we can't look at a list of do's and don'ts for how you're supposed to mitigate the circumstances we find ourselves in. How are you supposed to come back and do church? How are you supposed to gather together again so that people aren't damaged, so that people aren't hurt, so that people don't get sick? How do we do all these things? It's, it's, we don't have a, a, a book to go to. Well, we do. We do have a book to go to. It's the Word of God. We do have something that promises because its origin is in God, to equip us for how many good works? Most of them? For a few good works. He says he'll equip us for every good work. Even the ones where we all scratch our head and say, I'm not really sure how to do this. And by the way, there's not a verse that you can look up for it. So what do we do? We look at the whole counsel of God. We ask God to illuminate us. We ask God to guide us. We don't make a presupposition that all of God's choices have to match some predisposed criteria that I have or you'll have to throw out Jericho and you're going to have to throw out the Red Sea and you're going to have to throw out um, uh, Abraham because God doesn't always call us to do things that perfectly make sense. Or that have to perfectly make sense with me and my presupposed ideas. So we want to be sensitive men and women, full of the Spirit of God, not fast food Christians. Uh, The greatest example of this, guys, is Facebook. I never met so many experts in my life. I bet I I threatened to quit Facebook every day day and I don't post anything because I'm afraid that I'll say something I shouldn't but it's full of experts who all know everything cracks me up full of experts who know everything we ought to be doing full of people who have decided and maybe you know chances are maybe somebody somewhere in it all has it right I don't know But I know Facebook is not my source for true data. My source for true data is God's word. I know that the press conferences on the news is not my source for true data. The word of God is my source for true data. And God does tell us about what things to do in certain circumstances. So we go to him. We say, God, lead us through this time. I know that my source of preservation is not the state. My source of preservation is God. He will keep me until he chooses to bring me home. He will provide my needs. I don't need the president to send me a check. I don't need 
the government to, to come in and save me. I need to get on my knees before holy God, open his holy word, and ask him to speak to me and guide me and lead me that I might live a life that glorifies him. This is what Paul was telling Timothy. Times are unsure. Timothy might be arrested. You might die like me. They're going to chop my head off. But he told Timothy, here's what I want you to do. We're going to see more next week. But here's what I want you to know. You want to stay on the pure path? You want to stay on the right path? Hold fast to the word of God, which is breathed out by God. You know what he's going to say next week? Not only hold fast, he's going to say, preach it. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Convince. Correct. Rebuke. Exhort. We're not just to know it. We're not just to read it. We're not just to live by it and follow it. We're supposed to tell. Share what God is showing us. Hold fast to the truth. God will lead us through. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to gather, Lord, the opportunity to open your word. God, I pray sincerely, Lord, that the things that flow from me would just flow away. God, I pray that your word would hold fast that it would find a place to take root in our hearts, that you would lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, that you would teach us the path to walk, that you would show us what to do. We thank you for what at least appears to be the slight reopening of some things coming in this next week. And, and so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would give us wisdom teach us to walk in your ways be glorified lord in our pursuit of you because you say in the word you want people to know you and the way we know you is through the whole counsel of god's word so may we know you may we be faithful to you may we trust you more than all the other sources of information at our disposal. May we walk in wisdom as we follow Jesus Christ through his word. And may we all arrive safely on that shore and look into your eyes and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Unto that day, God, may we be diligent to present ourselves approved of God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. And may you be glorified and magnified in and through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.